Uncaged. Uncaged. A show celebrating thought leadership from today's top business leaders. The program provides a voice to amazing executives from around the globe who are shaping the world of business today and mapping the path to the world of commerce tomorrow. And now, please welcome our host, Bant Breen, as we begin another Uncaged episode. Today, we're speaking with Nigel Cannings. Hey, Nigel, how are you? I'm very well. How are you doing? I'm well. I'm well. I'm excited to talk to you about all of the things that you're doing. Nigel is the CTO of Intelligent Voice. Intelligent Voice is a global leader in the development of proactive compliance and e-discovery technology solutions for voice video, and other media. He's very much working on the forefront of NLP and speech recognition, and we'll talk about all of the amazing things that are happening in that space. But before we get there, Nigel, tell us a little bit about yourself and your career. Yeah, well, I've got a slightly unusual career uh, trajectory ban into technology. I'm actually a lawyer by training, um, something I don't normally admit to American audiences because they 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 tend to be very upset about that sort of thing. But <laughs> I was I was initially a lawyer, and which is you know we all we all tend to blame our parents for the awful things that have happened to us. But this is very specifically my father's fault, who. Um, <laughs> Who, who is a long-term technologist. He's been um, in the computer industry for over 50 years now. In fact, almost 60 years, crikey, going back to the very early uh, early days of this stuff. And wow. he sold the first ever personal computers in Europe um, in 1978. So for those of you old enough to remember the Commodore PET. Oh, I thought Apple you were going to say like the Sinclair. <laughs> no, no, long before that even. He, wow. he started selling those things. And... Um, Back in the in the late 80s, uh, I went into his office. I'd been living in, in Boston for a year, and I walked into his office and said, I want to do what you do. And I'm not going to go to college. I'm going to go. I want to be uh, you know, a, a businessman, which is what we used to call entrepreneurs back in the 80s. And, um, and he looked at me and, and swore at me for the first time in his life and told me if, um, if I had any idea how hard it had been getting where he'd got to um, and told me to go and get a proper job. So that's exactly <laughs> what I did. I, I became... I became, but he promised me that once I'd done all of that, if uh, if I came back and talked to him, you know, we could talk about my my career after that. So anyway, I did that. I became a lawyer. Um, I worked for many of the world's largest uh, technology companies. I worked for BEA uh, back in the late 90s and early noughties when they were kind of the eighth largest uh, and fastest ever growing software company in the world. Um, I got out. I made some money out of stock options. I walked back into his office. I said, I'm back. And he said, what are you talking about? I said, no, do you remember that conversation we had when I was 18, when you said, you know, just go off and do something else first. And he still to this day has no recollection of that conversation ever having taken place. Um, and, and we all think that it was just him trying to get his pesky 18 year old son out of his office. But by that time, I'd quit my job. I was ready to go. So I spent the last 20 years um, building up technology companies. And, um, and that's how I find myself here today. That's excellent. Well, you found your way into technology no matter what, and you're now the CTO of Intelligent Voice. Tell me more about what you guys are up to. Yeah, well, we, I mean, I mean, Intelligent Voice, in, in a sense, the uh, the clues in the name. So we're, uh, we're a speech technology company, but I keep telling people that it's a kind of, we're kind of increasingly badly named because over the last four or five years, we've 
uh, very much moved into the into the pure play natural language processing the nlp space and so mm -hmm. we do a lot of work uh with banks insurance companies police uh government similar types of, of background people who have um highly sensitive and private data mm -hmm. and they need to process it in some way it could be telephone data it could be email data chat data and to understand what is being said within it and then action it so that could be in a banking context. I mean, I initially set this company up to deal with um, trade floor problems. So we all remember 2008, you know, the LIBOR scandal and all these things going on in, on the phone and on email and, and chat. And so I thought we could build a system which would help us stop people doing that. Um, right. Took me a little bit longer than I'd anticipated for it to, to, to kind of take off. But, you know, that's just one of those things. And um, so we use NLP and speech technology to help prevent, um, you know, kind of fraud on the trade floor. We use it in insurance companies to help um, stop people phoning in, impersonating other people or to, you know, saying things that they shouldn't. So a lot of it is around uh, privacy and security uh, and making and, and processing language in that context. Oh, wow. That's really interesting. And I know that the natural language processing space has definitely moved forward pretty quickly. Now, you also have brand, I think it's Meet Mina. Tell me more about how that links in with what you guys are doing. Yeah, so so Mina, uh, Meet Mina is the what you might call the prosumer version of the Intelligent Voice product. So uh, early in the pandemic, um, it became clear that Clearly, everyone was working from home. So we're all sitting at home. We're all on Zoom meetings. We're all on uh, Teams meetings. And one of the things that became clear to me then is that we were losing a huge amount of information in terms of the interpersonal communication that we had. So we weren't even, you know, people weren't taking notes of, of meetings. There weren't minutes, you know. Mm. But there's a, there was a massive amount of communication taking place on the audio and particularly video channel. Mm. Um, and that was replacing a lot of other media. So I thought, well... Our, our technology was really good at taking audio and video content and kind of summarizing it, making it easy for people to digest, to present it back to people in a way that was very intuitive. And we have this, this technology called the smart transcript technology, which mm. effectively presents you with a summary of what was said on the left hand side. And you can kind of click and jump through uh, to various different parts of the call. So mm -hmm. my idea was why don't we why don't we turn this into a you know we're doing this in the enterprise we're doing this for big banks but why don't we open this out to you know people who've got one two 20 50 people who are um, on zoom or teams and allow them to link their account in to this service so right we we allow people so you know a, a call like this for example would go into the meet minor service and then about 50 minutes later, you'd get an email back and it would say, you know, hey, bam, here's the, the things that you were talking to Nigel about right. in that call. And when basically you want... a transcripting, basically, it's 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 kind of it's transcript plus. I mean, the, the fact is transcripts in and of themselves are useless. I mean, right. I, I always say this. Anyone who just sells transcription doesn't really understand speech technology because it's a very, you know, who's going to sit there and read a transcript, right? I mean, it's, you know, if, if I, if you looked at the transcript of this conversation, you know, no matter how interesting it was, you know, actually reading it, you're like, you know, I can read an email in 10 seconds, you know, I don't right. want to spend 20 minutes reading this thing. So it's really the summarization piece. It's the extraction of the key portions of it and presenting those back to the user in such a way that they can say, actually, you know, Bant and Nigel were talking about natural language processing technology. Mm -hmm. 
Mm. So I click on natural language processing. I jump immediately to that point in the call. I focus on what's important. And that was really the key differentiator of this technology. Um, And that's the thing which has made it very successful. That's really interesting. I mean, we definitely employ some of those technologies in what we do. So I'm excited. I haven't tried Meet Mina. I'll have to figure out a way we can give it a run. So, I mean, it's fascinating to me. I've done some dissertation work in the machine learning space. And, you know, I was working a lot in the NLP space, maybe four or five years ago. And it's certainly moved forward in leaps and bounds. Tell me more about kind of where you see the marketplace today and what's ahead. So, I mean, we're in a really interesting point in in NLP technology at the moment because, you know, traditionally NLP has been very much a rules-based type of thing. So people spend a lot of time, you know, building out rules-based NLP. And then suddenly the transformer model hit the market. So this is something which Google came up with about five years ago. Yeah. And you know the idea, you know, the, the basic idea is you throw tons of data at a model and it kind of learns how people speak. And we, we hear about things like GPT-3 and Blenderbot and all these various other um, different models. And you know one's got 100 million parameters, one's got 560 million, and now people want a trillion parameters, you know? And it's like, you know, Clearly, the more parameters you have, the the better these things are. And and actually, there's a number of fallacies um, involved in the in the language in the large language modeling market at the moment. Um, it's a bit of an arms race. That's the problem. So what you what you've got is the is the large tech organisations, both here and in China, mainly, are fighting each other for kind of headline grabbing, um, you know, almost vanity projects for this type yeah. of stuff at the moment. And, and actually, when you look at the technology itself, you realize that because no one can really control them, because the data they're built on is quite biased in many cases, um, they, t- they say some terrible things. I mean, it, you know, I mean, Facebook slash Meta made themselves look pretty stupid recently um, with the latest release of Blenderbot. Where you know if you if you ask it what it thinks of Mark Zuckerberg, it will tell you he's a, an evil man who's about to take over the world. Um, you know this is not good, right? In terms of no, but it's fascinating. I mean, with anybody that has followed kind of the evolution of this space, certainly there were the famous examples of Microsoft having their Twitter bot taken over by people that were just pouring in obscene information, turning their bot racist, if you remember back in the day. Yeah. And I think that it's improved, but it's funny because whilst I think technologies are desperate to get to the point where they can essentially let technology run free, almost everybody in the machine learning space would say, that's like worst practice, right? I mean, best practice is that we still have to have a layer of kind of analysis and by people. I mean, at least today, I mean, for sure, because, you know, even though you might have, what did you say? 500 million parameters. 560 million. Yeah. Yeah. That's an incredible number, but still there are 
so many nuances that are fraught with misunderstanding. And we play around a lot with GPT-3 and several of the other technologies. We utilize that in our core work and we're nowhere near being perfect at this stage, right? I mean, it requires so many levels of human editing, human understanding. And so I think we're moving in the right direction, but my feeling, and I'd just be curious about you, is that these problems tend to exist or happen when people just are like, oh, well, we're just going to push this out to the world. <laughs> and suddenly they're like, oh my God, this model has been trained to be racist, right? You know, or inappropriate in some form or fashion. Yeah. I mean, the, the thing is, it, it's, I mean, it's not technology for the sake of technology. I mean, the fact is that there, there's a real, um, there's a real need for what large language models are aiming to provide. Not necessarily right. what they are providing, but what they're aiming to provide, which is the ability to have human-like interaction with machines, right. to, to take away the human from a lot of things. So, you know, think about it in terms of, um, you know, the type of work that, that you guys do, you know, understanding right. it's, it, you know, taking, taking information, uh, producing uh, kind of a bite-sized kind of generated uh, feeling from that um, and something which is is easy and simple to post out from there you know that that type of generative stuff is really interesting um, yeah. but it lacks a couple of, of very core concepts so you know large language models are essentially a parrot they're nothing mm. more than that all they can do is reproduce a version of what they've seen before now you know Blenderbot, um, the, the, the work that Meta have been doing, tries to bring in search into that. But the fact is, it's still regurgitating what someone else has once said. Yeah. And what they're not is they're not abstractive. They're not conceptual. And so all we've really built is, you know, I, I've been, you know, I've been in the speech recognition industry for almost 14 years now. Language models, you know, there's not a there's not a speech scientist in the world who doesn't know what a language model is. It's literally, you know, it's a way of predicting the next word, the next thing, when you're not sure what's being said. And all a large language model is is just a bigger version of that. Right. So, and and I I did an experiment a few days ago. I was writing an article, um, and there's a there's a large open source um, language model called Bloom which is designed to take on some of um, you know, things like GPT-3, but in the open source domain. Right. If you say to it, it's cold outside, um, tonight I think it might, and then ask it to complete the next word, it will say snow. Now, the fact is, there's no context to that, right? It could actually be, it could rain heavily. The fact it's right. cold doesn't actually make any difference. If I were Scottish, do you know there are 421 different ways people in Scotland say rain? Sorry, snow. <laughs> I've heard that statistic with the Danish before. I guess the Danish have maybe even more than that. <laughs> so, so, you know, what, what we've got is these things are parrots, but the worst thing about it is they're very narrow parrots. Mm. Because actually, if if you know that means that every single piece of generated content is going to include the word snow because snow is the thing that people say most often. So right. we've actually got a problem of the potential death of language mm. through these things. So, so I'm, I'm really keen on the next evolution 
The next evolution is where we build something which is a little bit more abstractive, a little bit more conceptual. And, you know, it's not thinking, right? We're not trying to build artificial general intelligence here, but it's something which is better able to take some context and, and work from there. So that, you know, that for me, and that's where a lot of our research is going at the moment, yeah. is, in, is in the conceptual language modeling. I love it. I agree with you completely. That is exactly what we need. And Nigel, we're just waiting for you to complete that project, please. <laughs> it's on the way. <laughs> you could have it done by next Tuesday. That would be great. <laughs> you know, let's talk about the last couple of years. It's been an interesting one. And I think particularly in the technology space, because we found ourselves suddenly living in this pandemic world, which depended more on communications technology than ever before, as we were all working at home in some form or fashion. And now we've kind of ended up coming back in a blended way. And I'd just be curious to hear what your experience has been over the last couple of years with Intelligent Voice. Well, I mean, I, I suppose I'll take answer that at two levels, if I may. So one is kind of from a very personal level, and, and one mm. is from a one is from more of a kind of how it affected the business level. So, you know, at, at a personal level, it's been quite interesting because I spent the first two weeks of the pandemic in in a state of complete panic because suddenly, you know, we're testing every disaster recovery situation that we ever had. You know, up until the pandemic hit, ninety eight percent of the people who work for me worked in an office right. so we we worked together we were all there we had um a couple of people who worked remotely some of the time or part of the time but literally overnight we picked everyone up we put them at home and we said you've got to you know you've got to continue the same job that you had but remotely and and so as a manager and as a manager who'd, who'd been used to kind of seeing everyone <laughs> literally every day walking around the office talking to people um, there was that terrible kind of sense of, of lack of control for the first right. couple of weeks. And, but, but, you know, my staff were amazing. I mean, they were absolutely amazing and they all rose to the challenge. Um, they all worked it. And, it. and actually one of the things about working with having a lot of developers on staff is frankly, most of the time they sat there with a headset on anyway. So, you know, they, they did kind of, <laughs> they didn't really notice that they, they hadn't had their, their hour long commute on the way into the office. So, yeah. So that, so actually from that perspective, and you know, I, mean, I, I think honestly, most of, maybe not all the developers, but quite a few developers were working virtually for years, like yeah. years and years, right? Yeah, exactly. So, so that, you know, that, that worked well, mm -hmm. um, you know, one of the things, and, and actually, you know, from a personal perspective, getting to spend a little bit more time at home, I, you know, like a lot of people, I develop routines you know, got some more exercise in. I, you know, that was that was great, um, but I really missed the human contact. You know, I used to spend a lot of my time traveling, a um, lot of time at trade shows, a lot of time networking. You know, mm -hmm. I, you know, I would say my whole career has been built on networking, about actually physically meeting people, and and that is severely, you know, that was severely curtailed, and you know. I'm now finding, you know, in the next um, five weeks, I think I've got three weeks of constant travel where I'm just mm. all around the place because we're all kind of out there again and let's get out before before the next wave. Yeah. But but from an actual business perspective, it was quite interesting because, you know, we we are in the communication space. I mean, that's what we do. We are our job is to is to monitor communications, is to find out more about what people are saying, um, and so. Now, I would say we're benefiting enormously 
from the pandemic because you know we work with banks and insurance companies and people whose budget cycles are quite long mm -hmm. so because now all of these industries um, are being told from a regulatory perspective that you know, you've got people working from home, they need to be monitored, or they're seeing the bent, you know, they, they're doing much more um, work with customers in this way, they want to gain deeper insights into what's being said. You know, our type of technology has really kind of come to the fore in the last year or so. But at the beginning of the pandemic, what we were hit with was, here's a whole load of people who had projects lined up, and all of a sudden, they've got better things to do you know yeah. like no i hear you and you I, I think it was certainly as americans sometimes say it was a moment <laughs> it, was, it, was. it was a moment for every person for sure on a personal and professional level but it's amazing to see the progress as things have pushed on and now developing into the next phase and I mean, as you look forward, Nigel, tell me a little bit about what's on the horizon for you guys in the next, let's say, six to 18 months. Yeah, well, I mean, the, the, so one of my big obsessions is security. So, you know, as you know, we we have to move people to the cloud. We have to get people away from this very parochial. If I can't see the server that everything's running on, I don't trust it type mm -hmm. of thing because you know actually just purely from an energy efficiency perspective leaving everything else aside if we can centralize our processing power in highly efficient data centers you know data centers which now you know we work with a number of companies now who are um, committed to things like immersive cooling and building um, you know one company that we work with is building a literal city around the data center which will be heated entirely by that data center so oh, wow. the actual loss of energy is virtually nil so you know we, we we have to think about the way we we use energy much more effectively but there is a downside to that so you know if you've got so say say that you're a police force right or right. Or, a, or a bank who hold the most sensitive data or or a healthcare provider you know you have to be very, very wary about who has access to that data. And this is why for years they've kind of put their arms around it. So we've been developing technology which enables people to encrypt their data locally. So actually when they control that, but to get all of that kind of that, that juicy data center stuff done in the encrypted domain. So oh, to actually wow. to have a complete end-to-end -end encrypted pipeline, um, you know, encrypted search, encrypted inferencing. You know, inferencing is clearly the big thing that everyone does in NLP and so on. So that the only time that the cloud, well, the cloud provider. So here's the thing. Today, if you send your data, uh, let's say we took this audio file, right? After mm -hmm. this, if we sent this to a third-party provider to transcribe it that third party provider has access to it. Now, right. the fact is, this is going to be public content, you and I don't care about that, right? right. But let's say that I had, I was phoning you up, and I had this super secret idea, that was really, you know, absolutely core intellectual property. Now, right. Do I really feel like sending that incredibly, um, you know, confidential file to Google or to Amazon or to Apple right. to transcribe. I don't, I feel, you know, that, I'm very nervous about that. So mm -hmm. if I could find a way of allowing people to do that in the encrypted domain, I feel that we've got the best of both. And that is the technology no, I, 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 we are developing a, today. 
That's spectacular, Nigel. I listened to that. And certainly, obviously, that the scenario that you painted is a moment where you would need that type of a solution. However, there's so many more. I mean, you know, it just the, the reality is that there are so many industries, financial, insurance, medical, that whilst they may not be sharing super sensitive data, the rules and regulations of those industries demand that it actually be extremely protected at all times. And exactly. so that type of a solution, I think, is extremely valuable. I mean, just thinking about kind of financial reporting, right? Financial reporting has to go through tons of regulatory bodies before it can be shared. And so just in and of itself, that has to be encrypted. It has to be protected yeah. or the company will be in violation. So I love what you guys are doing, Nigel. You guys are going to change the world here for all of us. Doing what we can. <laughs> Excellent. Well, we've been speaking with Nigel Cannings. He is the CTO of Intelligent Voice, which is a global leader in the development of pro proactive compliance and e-discovery technology solutions for voice, video, and other media. He's working on a lot of amazing stuff for government agencies, banking, banks, security firms, call centers, lawyers out there as well, you name it. And we've been talking about a lot of interesting topics, mostly around the area of speech and how that can be actually evolved to become even more intelligent, more insightful, capturing more meaning, I guess, and significance really past just kind of the regurgitation of a transcript. Nigel, thank you so much for being on Uncaged today. If someone wanted to learn more about what you guys are doing at Intelligent Voice, where should they find you? Well, I mean, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn. I mean, LinkedIn is where most people find me. Um, otherwise, you know, come to the website, intelligentvoice.com or meetminer.com. Um, and, um, you know, but I'm always happy. Reach out to me on LinkedIn. Always love chatting to people there. So please come see me. Excellent. Well, Nigel, thank you so much for being on the show today and I uh, hope you get out of the aquarium. Lovely. Thanks, Ben. <laughs> Cheers, Cheers, then. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.